This episode of the Weekly Standard Podcast is sponsored by The Great Courses. The Great Courses brings the world's greatest professors to your fingertips with more than 500 courses on science, history, philosophy, fine arts, better living, and more. The Great Courses are available on digital download and streaming or DVD and CD. Best of all, you can listen to or watch The Great Courses at your own pace without the pressure of homework or exams. And now, for a limited time only, The Great Courses is giving our listeners an offer of up to 80% off the original price of selected courses, including Latin 101, Learning a Classic Language. For this limited time 80% offer, go to thegreatcourses.com slash WS to find out more. That's thegreatcourses.com slash WS. Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. I have decided we really need camps for adults. Really. I think we have a huge fund deficit in America. So here to help us fill that hilarity deficit that Hillary was complaining about, the fun deficit, is the funnest guy I know in the world of punditry, Bill Crystal. Bill, welcome to Hillary's Fun Camp. You can't make it up, right? I mean, Iran's about to get nuclear weapons. The Obama administration is launching an assault on our closest ally, Israel. Uh, crises exploding all over the world, for which she was somewhat responsible, Secretary of State, pretty recently. But she wants us all to have to have fun. Well, she's well paid to give that to, to give that <laughs> advice, right? Wasn't that a, her? Was that her last okay. big paid speech? Is that the report? Okay, this is the cheap shot, but I'm sorry, you can't skip it. I happen to recall another politician whose name started with H, who was big on putting adults in camps. I just, I just don't think this is really well thought out. That's my personal opinion. Yeah, right. That is kind of a cheap shot, but um, <laughs> I mean, it is. I, I'm just more struck by the earnestness with which she prescribes fun. You know, it's a little off-putting to me, but yeah. I've examined the uh, the analysis on this, and our our fun numbers are way way down. We need a five-level projected plan to deal with this. Anybody? Give me someone in research. Oh, it's it is going to be awfully tedious, Bill, if we end up with a Hillary Jeb Bush campaign. Please tell me that's not going to happen. Not going to happen. I'm guaranteeing it. That guarantee is worth what people are paying for <laughs> to listen to this podcast. But um, no, I, I think it's unlikely. I still think she's more vulnerable than people think, and I think Jeb is, you know, one of several candidates who could win, but only one of several. So I'm 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 holding out hope that there won't be a Bush Clinton race. There won't be a Bush or Clinton. I think likely. As the next president, I just just doesn't feel to me like that's going to like, like that's going to happen. And I do think Hillary is now under pressure on this on the Israel issue. I mean, uh, you know, her the, the president of her party, whom she served for four years, is just you know launching an all-out assault on Israel, not just to to, to, to delegitimize Netanyahu's criticisms of the Iran deal, not just some policy differences over you know so-called settlements and, and then the like. But just a flat-out attack, I think, at this point on the Netanyahu government and therefore on Israel itself, including, you know, suggesting he's going to basically not defend Israel at the UN. Wasn't this the president who said, "I have, I have your back" to, to Israel just just two years ago? This is the explicit, the exact opposite of having your back. It's basically joining the jackals and and going after Israel. Yeah, but he also uh, told Reverend Wright that I have your back. Well, the number of people who his back has been had that ended up under a bus is uh, you could fill several buses with it at this yeah, point. What, here's but, what strikes me as, as someone who doesn't know the politics of the Israeli-American relationship as well as, as you do is how 
emotional, how personal this seems to be. I mean, Josh Ernest is more gleeful in attacking Benjamin Netanyahu than he is when talking about getting ISIS. And I, 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 I mean, I, I kind of know politics, but this really has me befuddled. No, it's personal. He hates Netanyahu. He hates the fact that Netanyahu won. But also, he very much wants to, you know, I think it's part of his broader strategic policy decision, detente, uh, vision, detente with Iran and distance from Israel. And uh, part of distance from Israel is to play the U.N. card against Israel. Now, Jimmy Carter tried that in 79-80. It didn't work out well for him, either in policy terms or politically. But I do think for the pro-Israel community, look, if you're a liberal a Democrat who sincerely is pro-Israel, but you could tell yourself, well, I think maybe Obama's right that this Iran deal really is the best thing we can do to slow down their program. And you could tell yourself, I don't like those settlers anyway, so I can see why the Obama administration is pressuring Netanyahu, and I don't care for Netanyahu, he shouldn't have said that. You can size up all those things. The one kind of red line, though, that I think does exist for the pro-Israel community is betraying Israel to the U.N. It's so, the U.N. is such a horrible place, has been for 40 years. Zionism is racism. Uh, people like Moynihan and Kirkpatrick have defended Israel at the U.N. and earned the gratitude of the pro-Israel community. It's been pretty bipartisan, the defense of Israel at the U.N. And the idea that Obama, for what? Nothing's happened. No Israeli position has changed. No, no settlement has been built. No, no war has been launched. No, no terrorist has been assassinated. Nothing has happened because Netanyahu said or didn't say or sort of misrepresented in one of the two cases things he said in the heat of an election campaign. We're going to change U.S. policy uh, towards Israel and the U.N. I think this really is a breaking point for some of the Democratic senators who want to be pro-Israel, and I think it puts Hillary Clinton on the spot, and I really hope people keep asking Hillary Clinton what she thinks of that. But anyway, it's going to come to a head. At some point in September, America will or won't, I suppose, abstain or support some horrible U.N. resolution. And at that point, I think Hillary Clinton has a real problem. Uh, Bill, I think you're really uh, uh, too, dealing too lightly with Benjamin Netanyahu's campaign comments. I mean, after all, you know, as President Obama said, if you like your Israeli policy, you can keep your Israeli policy. He doesn't understand this idea that you might say something in a campaign that turns out not to be 100 percent accurate. But is I mean, I, I keep looking at the coalition that elected President Obama, and it's a coalition that can't win off your elections. You've already seen that. It's a coalition that it's hard to see how it can elect a Hillary Clinton or, or another Democrat. And now it's a coalition that seems to be throwing people overboard, and you, you, as you just noted. And this is this is the point where it's not, uh, I want to support Israel, but I don't like Republicans. I'm socially liberal. So here, this is really, oh my gosh, President Obama's making you pick a team. Best case scenario, they only lose a few members of that team. Worst case scenario, you have a, a, a significant migration of traditionally Democratic voting Jewish Americans saying the Republican Party is the only place I've got to go. And traditionally, Democratic voting non-Jewish Americans who are still pro-Israel. I mean, half the Democratic Party is, according to the polls. Now, the other half isn't, and the other half consists of a lot of activists and a lot of uh, Obama's own supporters um, and a lot of the money people, actually. Everyone thinks the Democratic money was traditionally a lot of it was Jewish money and pro-Israel money, but a lot of it now is left-wing environmentalist and anti-Israel money. The Democratic Party under Obama has moved from being a traditional American pro-Israel Democratic Party mostly to a European-style, left-wing, mostly anti-Israel party. And that's, I agree, it's a big deal. These things don't, you know, the, the consequences don't necessarily manifest themselves in any one election or, or one vote. But I, I do think by November 2016, if you are a decent, you know, sort of Democrat who wants the president who's going to be pro-Israel, Hillary Clinton, if she's the nominee, could be reassuring you all, all she wants. But I, I think people are going to say, well, what did she say in the middle of the last 
what will then be the last 18 months when we had an American administration just systematically trying to weaken Israel at every opportunity. And at this time, at the time when Iran is about to get on the path to nuclear weapons, it's really astounding. And I, I think um, I, I, I'm glad that uh, Marco Rubio and Tom Cotton both made speeches about this, very strong speeches, very good speeches, on the floor of the Senate yesterday. I hope the Republican presidential candidates speak up on this. Some of them have. Uh, and really, I think it's a chance to appeal beyond the Jewish community to sort of, this is a fundamental moment. Obama is, is pivoting towards Iran and away from Israel, and it creates a, it's a huge policy moment. I think Republicans need to stand up on policy, but I think it's also a political opportunity. Uh, and another thing that it does is you've got uh, people who are just trying to kind of support what they see as the traditional American approach, and now they're in the middle of this fight that has to do with you know not liking Benjamin Netanyahu. I thought I was pro-America. You got you got Americans who are just trying to live, and it seems as though again and again, uh, uh, Team Obama is finding ways to put a typical dopey American like me just trying to live my life on our heels. Which brings me, Bill, to Starbucks, where I just want to go in. And get a cup of coffee, but no, 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 no. I have to be confronted with the fact that I am covered up in white privilege and burdened by suburbanite guilt in order to get my half-calf uh, venti macchiato. I mean, just wanting to buy your half-calf, really? You drink that that junk half-calf venti <laughs> macchiato? To wanting to buy it without getting a lecture is itself an expression of white privilege, Michael. You know, I mean, that's sort of the whole point, isn't it? And luckily, we have enlightened CEOs like the CEO of Starbucks, who's, t- t- you know, forcing apparently, or certainly encouraging. I wonder if they are going to be held, you know, responsible if they don't do this. His baristas, these nice 23-year-olds, just mm-hmm. trying to make some money until their acting career takes off or until they're make it through grad school, you know, they're going to be forced to give lectures to people or encouraged to do so and to write personal things on the cuffs. I mean, you can't make it up. And I think, honestly, I think it's going to hurt them. I'd be, <coughs> I mean, maybe people just like Starbucks. It's a convenient place in their, you know, apartment building, in their office building uh, lobbies, so they're not going to go somewhere else. But certainly if you have a choice within half a block of another coffee shop, I, th- I think you'd go get your coffee from, from somewhere else. The last thing you want to hear in the morning is, is some lecture instead of Good morning. How can I help you? It's the arrogance of Howard yeah. Schultz. He actually said at one point, well, we want to use our powerful footprint for good. Hey, Spider-Man, chill out. You're not a superhero or a sociologist or a philosopher. Your job literally is to fetch me coffee. You're Michelle, uh, uh, I mean, uh, you're Melanie Phillips in the movie Working Girl at the beginning of the movie before she becomes an executive. That's all you do is make my coffee. I don't need a lecture from you uh, challenging my place in the moral universe. If he wants to spend his personal money, he's only been well paid as CEO of Starbucks and must have made a fortune on the stock. <coughs> Excuse me. Then he can use his personal money to fund all kinds of horrible left-wing campaigns. He probably does. But the idea that he's using the corporate entity or the public health corporation is a little bit offensive. I mean, can you imagine if the Cokes did this? You know, <laughs> think of the, the denunciate, which is a privately held company, I believe. I mean, well, think of the denunciations that would rain down on their heads. But they just sell people whatever they sell, you know, and try not to ask the people's political views, I imagine, when they're selling it to them. But well, here's my tip for a lefty. If you're a left, if you're a rich lefty, you're exempt from these rules. Here's- a wonderful thing. Here's my tip for Starbucks fans. You want to get in a fight, just go in and order the Malcolm Espresso or the latte from a Birmingham jail, and you'll be fine with those. Uh, I may have the best story of the week for you, Bill, something that will keep you smiling and beaming throughout this weekend, and that is I did an interview on my radio show in Atlanta with the spokesperson for RunBidenRun.com, the draft Joe Biden movement, sent out a massive press release today. I kid you not. 
And who is that spokesperson? I'm scared to. I, I, no one you've he heard is. of, but just I mean, it's, he's 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 a, he's a citizen. I mean, he's not like calling from the penitentiary down there, I, trying to get using his. I, I will say, I was expecting a Baba Booey at some point. <laughs> you know, I thought yeah, I was being right. set up, that I was being pranked or punked or whatever the kids call it today. But no, they are very serious. They're very earnest. They've got enough money to hire some spokesflax, and they are lobbying. And you know, they do have history on their side, Bill. Who was the last? sitting vice president who sought his party's nomination but was denied. Do you know? I guess I don't. Did, uh, I don't know, did Truman's vice president seek it in 52? Very good. Albin Barkley. Oh, look at that. You nailed it. Absolutely right. That was a good guess. That was, we'll, we'll, I'll retire after that guess. Well, that's good that you're focused on the Biden campaign, Michael. It's, uh, um, you know, shoe leather reporting out there. Look, I don't know why. The truth is why, I mean, if you're Biden, why should you yield the Hillary Clinton, he's accomplished as much as Hillary Clinton has, God knows. And, mm. and he, these figures, well, why don't I get a chance to, to take a shot? I wonder if he really will run. I wonder if all these Democrats, they've just all got to be watching the Hillary campaign, watching the clip you played, played at the beginning of this podcast, and think, oh, my God, she is a bad candidate. And I have you know, run for office a million times and won, Biden thinks to himself. And, you know, I've been through a lot. And why don't I get to run? You've got to think Al Gore thinking that and... Elizabeth Warren thinking this is a chance. I, I just think if one of them were to run, it would sort of pop the bubble, you know, the inevitability that you can't dare challenge her. But they all seem to be hesitating, and I guess there's an awful lot of pressure in within the Democratic Party not to run. So we'll see what happens. Well, I, I want to put people in camps. is definitely a dumb campaign statement, Bill, but even dumber is virtually everything that comes out of Joe Biden's mouth. I mean, I, I, he yeah, is, and that's why I love, I, I will donate money to have him run. He's, he's affable, you know, which I would say with all due respect, <laughs> Uh, she's not. I wouldn't say that's the word that comes to mind. For her. <laughs> By the way, um, th- we we mentioned this news this week. So you think this weekend, uh, given the turmoil right now between Israel and the United States, President Obama, the resentment, it's the threats, this could be a bad weekend for uh, America and the world. Yeah, I, I really wonder. There are a lot of minor indications that they're settling the groundwork to announce a deal with Iran, or or at least the framework of a deal, or something like that. And I, still, I wouldn't be surprised if it happened as soon as this weekend. There's just these little things coming out of the White House and out of Secretary Kerry that make it look like they're sort of trying to, to, to get people prepared. Um, they like announcing, this White House likes announcing things Saturday and Saturday night. They, I guess they figure they dominate, the, you know, senators are dispersed to the winds, critics are dispersed, they dominate the news cycle. Uh, they announced the joint plan of action, the previous deal that laid the groundwork for these negotiations. As I recall, on a kind of what late Saturday evening, uh, about uh, what was that, in November of, of 2013. Remember the Bergdahl release, right? The Saturday announcement. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember these things. Sometimes I was like on TV the next morning and was one of the first people to be able to comment at it, on it. And and I really wonder whether we're not going to see it this weekend, and maybe not. It might be next week, or the, but it's coming up soon. So we're going to have a, and I think we will have a deal. And I think it'll be pretty disastrous, as Netanyahu explained to Congress. And so also I do think the attack on Netanyahu was part of that, laying the groundwork for that, too, to try to discredit him, to make him this kind of right-winger who says irresponsible things during campaigns and is at odds with the U.S., so don't listen to him when he criticizes the deal. I think there's a, they, they are not – It is a lot of it is personal pique on the part of Obama, but this is part of an attempt to marginalize Israel and really to marginalize Netanyahu. Uh, well, obviously, I hope you're wrong, but unfortunately, history indicates you may be right. Well, I've got to get ready. I'm doing the paper mache for the Hillary Fun Camp, and we're using all of these shredded phone records from Whitewater. So when I think of the Hillary Fun Camp, I think of you, Michael. Uh, you should. And, oh, and, and the, we're also doing the Tech Camp. That's hot now. How to set up your own email server in your basement with a uh, well, Secret good, Service uh, card. 
Yeah, that would be useful, actually. Very, very useful. Bill Crystal, thanks so much for your time. My pleasure. You've been listening to the Weekly Standard Podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.